Hello, all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there. Thank you for joining me for this very, very special episode, episode 100. It's not only a special episode because it's a milestone for me making it to 100. It has been a long but very awesome, fulfilling road. But also, it's the episode that I bring my dad on. And we share a little bit about the adventure that we are having, which is riding our bikes from Prague to Dresden. I hope you've been following us on Instagram as we do that cycle together. And just really... I think a milestone and just growing a podcast and getting it to where I want it to be and, and having the trials and tribulations. And then finally, you know, bringing my dad on, he gets to share a little bit about his life and the trials and tribulations that he's gone through and, and how it all relates to where I'm at and where I want to go to in the future. So thank you again for joining me. I really hope that you're getting a lot of valuable, inspirational, motivational things out of these, these episodes that I produce for you. Please remember to follow me on Instagram at Misfits and Rejects. Please take out your phone right now and subscribe to Misfits and Rejects on whatever podcast player you're listening to us on. Making a comment on your podcast player is awesome for me. It really helps me too in ratings for Misfits and Rejects. And then if you wanted to support Misfits and Rejects, you can do it on Patreon. That's Misfits and Rejects at Patreon, which is a platform for fans of Misfits and Rejects to give a monthly donation. Anything from you know one, three dollars, five dollars is all very helpful. Nothing is expected, but all is very much appreciated. And with that said, sit back, relax, and enjoy episode one hundred with me and my dad talking about our bicycle ride from Prague, Czech Republic to Dresden, Germany. Enjoy. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. This is a very special episode. Not only because it's episode 100 of Misfits and Rejects, but it's also the episode I get to share with my dad after our nice, awesome, fun two-week journey from Prague to Dresden on bicycles. And now we find ourselves in Bavaria, hiking around through these beautiful, gorgeous Sound of Music hills with pastures of cows and just everything couldn't be better. Sun's out. We're on the balcony of a a very authentic, I'd say, um, southern German dwelling. Good guest house. It's a good guest house. Well, Dad, welcome to the show. Well, good. It's, I'm glad to be on the, finally make it to the 100th. <laughs> you made it on to the 100th, yeah. Took 100 episodes for you to get here, but we're happy to have you. And, um, you know, as a dad of, what, 77 years? Yeah. I mean, getting to do this with you is very special for me, and I know you've enjoyed it as well. What do you think's been the highlight for you over the last two weeks? Well, I think initially, you know, I, I'm, I'm proud it was my idea to do this, uh, we had initially looked to go on a bike trip down the Danube, but everybody in the world seemed to be doing that. So then I found this uh, Prague to Dresden, uh, Dresden. And, uh, and I also had decided that it, rather than since you and I had done pedal bikes before down from San Francisco to L.A., that it's time we did electric bikes, which I am very glad we did. <laughs> Me too. I mean, I have no qualms about it in the sense that I don't feel bad about it. Like, I think it was an excellent way to enjoy the, the what, what was it, the Ells River? 
Elba. The, the Elba, Elba River that we, we rode up all the way to Dresden and makes it super casual. I will say that you I paid less attention, I think, to the map and the signs directing us in the correct direction because I didn't have to like worry about that extra kilometer that we would have tacked on if we were pushing with our, our own two legs, you know? Right. Well, the other thing I noticed is that uh, on our previous bike trips, you know, which when we went down from San Francisco to L.A., I was leading. And on this trip, my son, Chapin, was in command, and I was quite happy about that. Right, right. Yeah, I guess as time goes on, things do change, and um, we do have many more trips to come. But, yeah, you mentioned that we did that one down from San Francisco to L.A., which actually from Santa Cruz to L.A., very different, a lot of work, lots of hills. Um, and I'd say in hindsight, I think I definitely would like to do this again in this manner, not necessarily push myself to go like that distance with that kind of terrain. Well, the thing that was so good for me that on, on our bikes, you carried all the weight and I just was on the bike. And so I would pedal uh, once because these were pedal assist e-bikes. And then I would cruise for quite a bit of time and wouldn't have to even pay much attention. And as I think you and I both agreed, when you're doing it by bicycle, you see uh, so much more than you do by car. 100%. I mean, I think that's also how you learn to appreciate what type of travel you like to do. Because, I mean, there's so many various ways to get around by bus, by plane, by train, by walking, by bike. And when you try all of them, like I think now for me, biking is probably the coolest mode to see places. And the other thing, the way we did it, you know, because this was a all it was a self-guided tour. Chaper and I knew how we were going to go. We used my iPhone. I downloaded a, the map of uh, Prague to Dresden. But the organization we went through uh, uh, scheduled our hotels and carried our luggage for us. And it was very, very nice to go into a the next town, know you had a place to stay, and know your bags were going to be there. Absolutely. What was the name of that company, remember? Uh, the one we went through was Rod, Rod, R-A-D, and Reeson. Rod Reeson. I'll put it in the show notes. And it was like, what, $900 a person that included all the equipment and the hotels? Right. It was about 900 a piece. And that was including uh, an extra night, uh, a, pre, a pre-night trip in uh, Prague and a post-night trip in Dresden. And which we found was uh, extremely worthwhile to have those extra days. When we were going into this, the cities on the way, which I thought was great because you would never go to these cities probably if you were driving. And uh, you see places that you'd probably never see and stay in hotels you would never think of going to. Or find. I mean, a lot of these places were just off the map in a way, weird alley that, yeah, we would have never found. No. no we would a, never know to look. Not, yeah, exactly. Um, just jumping quickly to technology and the fact that we were on e-bikes and the changes that have happened since you've were born 1940. Um, you've always been very passionate about learning the new gadgets that come out, you know, something that didn't pass on to me <laughs> or my sister. But, um, you know, with the e-bikes and the many more things that will come in the next few years, like how, how is that adjusting? How has that adjustment been for you, you know, over the years as, as technology has progressed? Well, I've always stayed up. I always read the uh, in the news, I always read the tech pages first to see what's happening. You know, I'm always up to date on what Apple's doing. I'm always up to date on what gadgets are coming out. Uh, always up to date. And I don't seem to be doing much in social media per se. 
But in terms of the hardware and things to make life more easy, I'm always seeming to enjoy stay up to, staying up with that. Is that what motivates you? Do you think the, um, the, the aspect of making your life a little bit easier, a little bit more convenient? Or well, why, it, why? It, why are you so interested in Well, because in it? it actually does, you know, with the, as we were just chuckling on driving, you know, we can download a, a map and be offline on Google Maps and it knows exactly where you are and you never get lost. You can always find your way back. And I discovered when on our last trip when we went to uh, London, to England, that you can download a map, be offline, and know where you are, and it's magnificent. Back in the old days, you were, had paper all over the place, and you were dead, it, too hard to find it. Yeah, let's circle back then to, to the past and the way you traveled, because, I mean, um, maybe like, can you give the, the audience a brief history of you know your life and, and, and where you were born and kind of like you were born into a military family. Your father was a colonel and that took you around the world. Can you just give us a, a synopsis of kind of what it was like growing up for you and where you were born? Well, I was born at Fort Monroe, Virginia. Uh, during these days, you have to say World War II because you say the war. It doesn't mean much to many people anymore. And... So then the war ended in 45, and my dad was uh, stationed in Manila with the embassy. So we took a um, military transport in 1946 over to Manila, where we lived for three years. I went to the first three grades of school in Manila. Philippines? Philippines. And then military transport means you took a boat or a plane? It was a boat. Yeah. <laughs> no, there, there were no planes that would go that far back in those days. And so we were on a ship. For how many weeks? I think it was a 14-day crossing, as I recall. From San Francisco? From San Francisco. To the Philippines. To the Philippines. Did you well, stop off in Hawaii? No, we, we stopped off in Hawaii. And in those days, I don't know if they do it. These days, you would pull into Honolulu, and all the young men, you know, Hawaiian young men would sit there, and everybody would throw quarters off the boat, and they would dive for it. And that was what they used to do in the good old days. But I don't. we haven't taken a cruise there lately. I don't know if they still do that. But then we stopped by and we stopped by Japan on the way over, and it was you know, 1946 was not very much after the war, and then went on on to Manila. I mean, it was devastated after the war, like we didn't even get off the boat. Uh, it was just I don't know why we we're there. We just pulled in, and I think I I don't even think we spent the night there. And then after uh, the Philippines came back to Fort Monroe, my dad retired there. He was at West. He was a West Pointer. And then we came to California, and then I grew up in Santa Monica uh, all the way through, and then went to Claremont at that time, Claremont Men's College, and then got into the workforce and mm -hmm. did all the things you're supposed to do. What was it like, though, uh, I mean, spending those, not, I guess, super formative years, but those younger years in, in Manila, did you enjoy it? Was it an excitement for you? Well, just was thinking about that because I think that's what really uh, created my wanderlust. Um, my, we were always, well, you know, the first few years of, of my schooling, I was in five different schools, always moving, and it never bothered me, and I always enjoyed going, seeing new places. So I think that sparked the travel bug, and then when you and your sister and I went to Europe in, what, 1997, I think that kind of sparked the bug in you, and, yeah. and now you've seen way more of the world than I have. Yeah, absolutely. I referenced that trip in episode 10 for any listener who wants to go see how profoundly it did change my life and probably, you know, guided me to where we are today. Um, so you did LA, Santa Monica, pretty much did the path that I think your generation, your father's generation 
had all kind of had set in place for them, which was, we always talk about like everyone just went to the military after school, right? Well, like that's just what you did. Right. I, I was in ROTC at Claremont and graduated in 1962. And then as a, a second lieutenant went to Fort Knox to be trained in armored cav. And the reason I got an armored cab, because you'd go to Fort Lewis for summer camp, and there was uh, they show you all the various services, and there was a guy coming down in a Jeep with an old cavalry hat on, waving our set. I said, that looks cool. I think it would be an armored cab. Very, very profound thinker. And then went over to Regensburg, uh, Germany, right in 1962, and we were there when Kennedy was shot, and they put us on alert, and we were in a small, what they called concerns, which were a small fort. And I always remember in the in my room, my bachelor officer's quarter, it said Fritz, 1943, on carved into the window. So that was a very good experience. So we got a lot of travel. When I was over there with my friend, uh, we went around to Italy and drove all over Europe at that time. So that was good. When um, you were in the armored cab in Regensburg, Germany, what were you doing? Like, well, kind of laughing now because then. Uh, Czechoslovakia was in the Soviet bloc, and we were right on the Czech border. And our job was to keep the Czechs from invading us, which and we laugh today as we go to Prague and we drive through all that territory that in those days was allegedly the enemy. <laughs> and so that like you'd patrol the border in your um, tank? No? No. Armored Cav had, uh, I had a platoon. And that was me. I had my command jeep, and then there was uh, two jeeps with machine gun pedestals, a uh, a tank, um, infantry squad, and a personnel carrier. Or actually, there was two tanks: an infantry squad and a mortar mounted in a in a, uh, in a piece in a personnel carrier. And our job was to shoot, move, and communicate. And in those days, you had uh, uh, maps were paper, and they were one over a hundred. And the greatest accomplishment I can remember was they said, go there. And I actually found there. That was uh, one over a hundred means. Means the, the relationship of the map, you know. Like topographical? Topographical. Oh, so, I see. So you were reading mountaintops and all that stuff. And I so was you just, never drove a tank? I did when I was being trained at Fort Knox, but never would. My, my, all my transportation was in a Jeep. I see. And were you literally like driving up and down a, 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 a number of miles on a border back and forth? or? Well, when we would go up to, we, we'd rotate up to the border and there, we would be in charge of a, a sector. And my, our, the company that did it, we'd have, they would have outposts. And unfortunately, the, the enlisted men would be sitting up there with machine guns mounted, you know, within the machine gun emplacements. And they were there, and it was cold. And my job was to go out and be sure they were awake. So I never had to stay up there. I got to come back to the main the main base and, and stay warm. Hmm. Uh, I and guess I didn't feel too guilty about that. Right. So when you had rest and relaxation, you were able to kind of go around Europe and explore more of Europe. But you weren't ever allowed to go more east. You couldn't. You weren't going into the Czech Republic to visit. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> No, no, no. They were the enemy, and, and there was no, no, you couldn't, would you even have been allowed? Could you have snuck in, or? You wouldn't want to do that. No. No, that would have no. been, I mean, you, it just wasn't even. Uh, it's like dressing in an American military outfit walking through Afghanistan. Right well, now. I had, there was one friend who uh, was a little, a little more adventurous than I am. 
he was married and had his wife over there, and he was really, he did go in. She was Czech? No, he was American. Santa Monica High School. I know, I know, but she was Czech like that. No, no, she was was a surfing angel from Santa Monica High School. Really? And he was a year ahead of me at Santa Monica High School. And when we went to, I never knew we was over there. And when we were at a gunnery range, I went into the latrine, and next to me was uh, uh, this guy. But he was the kind of guy, he would, they put on Czech peasant clothes across the border and went in there and roamed around, never got caught, never, never mm. did anything. He was, he was gutsy. Interesting. I mean, having that experience and getting exposed to the culture of Europe in different countries, did you ever have a desire to try to stay? Like find a, uh, an Italian, a French, German woman and then make a life for yourself in these no, areas? Remember, remember I, I would like to say that, you know, I was the last of the drinkers because when in 1962 things were changing over the, you know, everything, Vietnam was, uh, or I got out in 1964 and the unit I was in was headed for uh, Vietnam. And back in those days, if you wanted to smoke marijuana, which of course I didn't because that was a gateway drug to heroin and <laughs> eternal, uh, damn, and you'd be a, end up being a jazz musician. Uh, so I never got into that, but uh, I was going down the path of what everybody did in our, you do that, you get married, get a job, have kids, and... So you were always intending to go back and do that, just because that's what you did? That was what you do. Right, right. I, I, had, I hadn't come to your advanced thinking at the time. <laughs> Not necessarily advanced, just that, you know, times change and yeah. ideals change, and... I mean, you see that really now with, with the ability and access to so much information out there. A lot of people like myself trying to figure out ways to make money online so we can stay mobile and, and move around. I mean, what do you think about that? Well, I think it's grand. You know, I'm at a place now where I'm quite content. You know, like, do stuff with you is good, but I'm, you know, I've seen a lot of the world. I'm happy. I enjoy uh, a, and a more easygoing life in a place that I'm really enjoying in Southern California. And uh, I like to travel, but I have never really had the opportunity to move. The only thing I ever thought would be nice to do would maybe uh, spend, always have a home base, but go three months here, three months there, three months there, but always have a place to come back to. Yeah, that's definitely, I think, what I'm striving for as well. So you worked straight for 30 years, the same job. Um, no, 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 not quite. I, when I got, I went to UCLA and got an MBA in marketing. And because I'd been a lieutenant and had an MBA, I went to work with a gray advertising company in Beverly Hills as an assistant account executive. And back then, I mean, this is ancient history. Uh, Honda had just introduced the little scooter, which was very hot, you know, a little motorcycle. I was doing the motorcycles. And during that time, Honda introduced cars for the first time. I mean, this is back in, what, 1964, 65. And uh, so I worked there for a while, but I just found I didn't cut it in the advertising world. So I eventually, through a few other iterations, I ended up in the financial industry as a broker for various uh, uh, major brokeries, houses, primarily on the commodity side, trading commodities. And that's what I had done for the, did that within the, within the system, uh, uh, for 15 years, and then for the last 25, have been doing it with a partner, having kind of a mini hedge fund. Why commodities? You think? Well, I always it was fascinating because I always thought initially, you know, it's 
the idea of being able to trade, go profit if it goes up, profit if it goes down, have the flexibility, don't have to, you can always be quick. And obviously over the years, I've learned that it's not as easy as you think. It's, there's, there's more to it than that. Yeah. I mean, let's talk a little bit about that because you've been in the game for a long time. And like myself, I've been not in the game, but interested in the game for a period of time. And, um, what, what kind of advice would you give to somebody out there who's thinking about getting into that type of work and line of work? I mean, what separates the, the Warren Buffett's and those guys who are crushing it versus, you know, somebody who made a living at it like you? Well, I made a living. If you're going to go into the game where you're going to be in the, in the, a, a stock broker, there were people, there was a guy who had gone to the Air Force Academy and came in and he became hugely successful because of the job as a sales job. And he had skin thicker than anything. I was always amazed. He would stay at work every night till 10 o'clock calling people at home. If they said, I'm going to hang up now, he would still talk and they ended up buying $300,000 of bonds. So, and he would make his money off commissions or off commissions. He was the fastest growing broker in the, it was the Shearson system at that time. In 10 years, he did better than anybody else did. But so he wasn't making necessarily people money. He was just making money at selling people the idea of investing. Right. He was, he was aware that he needed the commissions. Now it's changed over the years because they've gotten, they, now you're taking a percentage of the, the assets, the assets under management. Mm-hmm. And so it's not quite, uh, I need you to buy this so I can, I can live. But you really have to be fascinated about interacting with people and helping them make decisions and doing that. And I was never really cut out to be a, a salesman. So in, in essence, I would, don't go for the money. You better be comfortable at what you're doing. I see. And then, you know, your retirement came in the last five years, but I remember the Monday, well, we actually had dinner that day and um, it was your first day of being officially retired. You didn't go to work that Monday. And then within a week, you're already back to work because just helping your partner, not necessarily working for money anymore, but just why? Why was it? Why is it so? Well, without a loyalty, he wanted to continue to do it, and we, and he needed the, he needed the help, and I was, I didn't mind. I've been going in at seven o'clock for the last twenty five years, and his nature is to come in early, later in the day, so I go in from seven to ten and kind of hand, hand, handle that pro bono. But then I wanted to do something with a little more uh, meaning. So that's when I evolved into working, you know, volunteering at the food bank and, you know, putting together meals and tutoring English through the library. I mean, where I felt they were actually, uh, uh, you could actually see uh, the the end of of service. I did, uh, I worked, uh, I was always, apparently that's what I really was much would have been better at doing. Because I worked for several years on suicide hotline, I worked on uh, hospice work, going to uh, visit people who were dying. I w- did Big Brothers for a while. Uh, all of that I felt was valuable, and which seems to give me the satisfaction. And that's where you feel like, in hindsight, if you not could do it over, but your skill set maybe lied more in that than more in, more in dealing with people on a. Uh, I like the end, the end user, and and uh, for one, for quite a while, I did pretty well. I was uh, uh, actually uh, 
on my own selling uh, sales, if it, I think it was kind of almost hypocritical, selling a, a sales motivation program uh, by a guy who couldn't really sell. <laughs> but I did quite well. I did quite well. This was the early years before you... Before I did marketing. any... Yeah, before I did any of that. Yeah. It was like kind of, kind of like coaching, right? Like <laughs> Coaching, and it was... But it was really you connect with the person. You really get to know the person you're dealing with, and you you really interact with them. And that's what I like doing. I'm, mm-hmm. I like being in a situation where I'm able to identify how I've been helpful to them. Right. How important do you think it is to have a routine, like a daily routine? Oh, well, I mean, you've always, I do. <laughs> I know you do, and and that's why I'm asking because I mean, Hop of my grandfather, your dad had a routine too, like he did. What a hundred push-ups every day until he was in his eighties. Pretty much, he was. But you know, we've all we've been, all been conscious of our health. You know, I I used to run. I've been I ran from the time I was in the army till probably three years ago. I would run, and then I decided my knees probably didn't want to do that anymore. So now I I there's a hundred steps close to the house, and I do ten laps every morning. Every day, every seven day, days a week. Seven days a week. And then any other kind of exercise that you partake in? Uh, I do. I do some. I do some. Um, you know, handheld weights. Do several routines three times a week. So, mm-hmm. and what so, about keeping your mind sharp? What kind of stuff are you doing for that? Maybe. I read. I mean, I really read, and I find myself very always interested in looking into the into the depth of things. Like uh, last when you and I were at that place last night, you know. How do you how do you solve the homeless problem? Mm-hmm. Uh, how are you going to solve the immigration issues? How do you how do you move people from one place to another? And I find that very fascinating. And I think, as I mentioned, the um, that one college, St. John's College, it only allows you to or their whole four year curriculum is is, ancient, is the classics. You read Plato and Greek, and you uh, you read uh, the original of uh, uh, Einstein. And after all four years, when the article I was reading, he says, what have you learned that life is ambiguous? <laughs> is this like an internal dialogue you have with yourself or do you seek out people to kind of like talk about these concepts and ideas with on how to solve these kind of problems? If anybody will speak to me about it, I am curious what they have to say. But generally I find, uh, I, uh, I find reading long articles by people that ha- have the credentials to have something meaningful to say. And then I generally go look up a review of what people have said about what they've said. And they generally then you find somebody said, well, this guy has some good insights, but if you really want to know, read this book. So then I go read that book. You've often kind of sought groups of people though, to have these kind of conversations with, like you went to a dialogue group for a long time. We did that. We had the dialogue group because that was started by, uh, uh, David Bone, who was a physicist, and he was t- in in collaboration with Krishnamurti, who was uh, an Indian guru, and they started a dialogue where your your whole point is not to judge, but only to inquire. Kind of a this S- Socrates method of going just don't have any pre pre presuppositions. This is a group that just sits in a circle and and you. You stare yeah. at each other until someone has something to say? No, I mean, they, you make it start with a topic, but then people will say uh, say something, and then somebody else may say, well, what I generally do is I'm not quite sure I understand you. Can you tell me more? Rather than coming back with an argumentative uh, 
that's stupid. <laughs> it was an interesting observation you made, because um, we've had conversations about this in the past, that inevitably somebody is always trying to take over the conversation in the group. Is that right? Even though everybody came into this idea of the dialogue where everyone's sitting open-minded, non-judging, and willing to hear the other person's ideas, you said inevitably somebody always somebody wants always to take Somebody always does. As, a, as a, the group I was in, I had one friend who was a good guy, but he was very versed in uh, paleontology, you know, the study of old stuff. And it wouldn't matter the subject. He would always end up talking about cave paintings. <laughs> That's so interesting to me, the psychology behind that and, and people's just lack of attentiveness to the social setting, you know? And right. I guess it didn't bother him that... It, well, no, I mean, once you're on, once you're on a roll, uh, listen to me and maybe, maybe I'll have time to hear what you have to say. But mm. doubtful because I'm, I, have, I have all the information that you really need to know. Mm-hmm. So it seems like then there's probably a lot of like correlation between where we are in the state of the world today with um, politics and immigration and people uh, very, very frustrated with the current situation. Well, it's, it's all divided. You know, there's, nobody's trying to find a, a way to solve the problem. Everybody's sticking to their side of the story and, and, are, and not listening to the other side. So well, do you think that'll ever change? I don't think it ever has changed. And do you think it ever will? Probably not. No. Um, so then, yeah, what's your outlook towards the future? Well, just a, a thought comes. Since we've been on the road and riding the bikes and now uh, hiking through the mountains of Bavaria, uh, this is probably the longest that I haven't really paid much attention to what's happening in the world. And it's a great pleasure. <laughs> Interesting. So, yeah, I mean, just going back real quick, like... Uh, what are your thoughts about the future? I mean, optimistic or it is what it is? I would say it is. I have, I, trading commodity futures, people always said, would ask, well, what do you think is going to happen? I say, I don't predict, I just respond. I think that's a good way to live life. And then for the audience who wants to take that next step in life or, you know, take, a risk, take a trip, you know, with the, the years of experience that you have, any, any advice you can impart on us before we say our goodbyes? Well, obviously, you just got to guts up and, and go push through the fear. I mean, it's uh, fear, fear is the block, and uh, no matter what you do, you have to somehow find a way to go beyond and push yourself into the next realm, because once you get beyond that, as we discovered, I mean, what you and I do when we go is... The joy of this traveling together is that we come to an intersection and and we say which way? Oh, well, let's go that way. All right, and and you're open to what might show up. You're not you don't prejudge it. Right, right. Well, this is very special, Dad. Thanks for doing this trip with me and doing this interview. It's uh, always a pleasure getting to do these things with you, and I look forward to many many more. We look forward to where Croatia next. Croatia, I think, has been talked about, and that would be awesome. Yeah, love you, Dad. Love you. Wow. Thanks, Dad. What a special moment to get to sit and just chat with you, bring you on, you know, a passion project of mine. Um, let the audience hear a little bit about you, which then obviously gives them a little bit of insight into me and what drives me, what motivates me. Uh, it was such a pleasure sharing this experience with you, Dad. Thank you so much for just being such a wonderful father and a you know positive influence in me my whole life, pushing me to just 
basically do what I want to do, you know, never really um, putting too many restrictions on me and just always letting be letting me be me. I love you very much. And thank you also, audience, for listening to this episode. Again, episode 100. It's been a lot of years producing these episodes and to get to 100. It's a huge milestone for me, and I'm planning on continuing on, hopefully bringing more valuable content to you every single Monday, trying to just keep lifting the content to a new level of inspiration and positivity and hopefully motivating you to take that next step into whatever you really want to achieve in your life. You know, I'm out here trying to design my life as a digital nomad where I can be on the road all times making money from my computer and I'm not restricted to one place in the world where I have to always go back to and make my money. So that's the goal. That's what I'm striving for. I'm getting closer. I'm not there yet. I'm not fully, it's not a fully viable business model yet, but I am moving to Thailand for a while to really try to connect with the right people to help motivate me to get to that next level. Like they say, you are the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. And I've been around a lot of great people over the last years in Nicaragua, but none of them are doing the digital nomad thing. So it's time to come to the Mecca, Chiang Mai, Thailand, and really put my money where my mouth is and really give this another go, a big push, and try to get to where I want to go. So remember, follow me on Instagram. You can follow me at Misfits and Rejects. I'm posting a lot. You can follow my travels. You can follow the ups and downs of this whole adventure, trying to become a digital nomad. Please subscribe on your podcast player now. Pull your phone out, hit subscribe, leave a comment, rate Misfits and Rejects on your podcast player. That's all super helpful. And if you want to donate anything to Misfits and Rejects, you can do it via Patreon. It's a monthly donation. You know, $1, $3, $5, $10, whatever you want is all greatly appreciated but not expected. So just thank you so much for being a fan of Misfits and Rejects. Hope you're getting a lot out of this, and I look forward to delivering a lot more to you in the future. And as always, please remember, I think you all are so very beautiful. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out and spread your wings and try something new to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.